This is Mark Lemley from Stanford Law School, and you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 67 of IP Fridays. Today we have a returning guest, Paul Paradise, um, who will speak with us about the dark web. Before we jump into the interview, I have some news about chocolate and also about the UPC, the Unified Patent Court. Some of you may know Rittersport, a famous German chocolate brand with a quadratic um, packaging for their chocolate bars. They had a three-dimensional trademark for their quadratic packaging of chocolate and a competitor of theirs had requested cancellation of that uh, packaging, the three-dimensional mark for the packaging. Recently, the Federal Patent Court decided that the trademark is cancelled. The decision was rendered on November 4th uh, by the 25th uh, Senate of the Federal Patent Court. And I must say the decision is quite cheeky. First of all, the 25th Senate uh, basically said that uh, the Federal Court of Justice, so our Supreme Court in Germany, was wrong in saying uh, that a trademark can only be cancelled uh, on a ground that was stated by the um, requester of the cancellation action. So basically the Federal Patent Court, the 25th Senate, said that if someone requests cancellation of a trademark, the Federal Patent Court can just assume that uh, they can just use any or find, um, find a decision based on any of the possible grounds for cancelling a trademark and that they would not be bound by the original um, request. Secondly, what is even more interesting is uh, that um, the packaging of the chocolate was uh, basically um, in the form of the product itself and according to paragraph 3 of uh, the German Trademark Act, three-dimensional trademarks cannot be um, registered as trademarks if they are just merely um, the, in the shape of the good. So the 25th Senate said um, that the packaging of this uh, chocolate bar was just uh, basically the shape of the chocolate bar itself um, and therefore was not even um, entitled to protection by a trademark. If you want to read the whole decision, which is quite interesting to read, uh, you can go to the website of the Federal Patent Court, Bundespatentgericht, and search for decision case number 25W, open parentheses, PAT, close parentheses, 78 slash 14. 25W, PAT, 78 slash 14. The decision is dated 4th of November 2016. Then I also have some news about the UPC, the Unified Patent Court, and the system around it. 
everyone knows that uh, Great Britain actually already has um, all instruments for the ratification of the UPC in place and they would just have to hand in the documents for ratification. But of course, uh, since the vote uh, for the Brexit was uh, positive for Brexit, people are skeptical whether Great Britain will actually hand in the documents and ratify the agreement. And we now know when this decision will be made. Theresa May is set to speak at the Competitive Council on 28th and 29th of November in Brussels. And she's expected to tell us whether uh, the UK will ratify the agreement or not. So stay tuned until the 28th or 29th of November and follow the news of the Competitiveness Council in Brussels closely. Also, the Italian authorities have formally selected the location for the local division to be set up in Milan. And actually, it is probably no secret anymore that Milan is hoping for a main division in case uh, the UK will really exit uh, the negotiations and not ratify the UPC agreement. So this is also quite interesting news. So let's jump into the interview with Paul Paradise and Ken. Ralph, our guest today is Paul Paradise, who is the best-selling author of numerous nonfiction books, including The Counterfeit Detective. Paul is a returning guest to IP Fridays, having joined us in episode number 46, where we explored his latest book, The Counterfeit Detective. Welcome back, Paul, to IP Fridays. And what are you currently working on these days? Ken, it's, I'm glad to be back. I was asked to write a book about the dark web by ABC Clio, the publisher of my nonfiction book on trademark counterfeiting. The dark web is a hot topic right now, thanks to an article that appeared in Rolling Stone magazine in May 2015, basically on the Silk Road. Now, this mm -hmm. is a drug site founded by Ross Ulbricht, who was using the online name Dread Pirate Roberts. He's estimated to have made $1 billion before the IRS caught up with him. I gave a talk on the dark web on June in Boston at PirateCon 2016 for the Massachusetts Pirate Political Party. Yeah. The dark web was a government project called the Onion Router, or TOR, to protect intelligence communications. It was launched in the late 1990s at about the same time that the World Wide Web became mainstream. TOR was a far-reaching initiative because privacy had already become a major concern on the Internet. The TOR router directs networking information through a series of volunteer servers located around the world. Each server encrypts information to form layers of encryption that make it virtually impossible to determine the user's identity and has been compared to the layers of an onion, hence the onion router or TOR. Mm -hmm. It's too early to tell, but the dark web could rewrite the laws governing the Internet because TOR allows for complete anonymity. TOR was around for many years, but what really took off when bitcoins were invented in 2009. Suddenly, you had anonymity on the web and virtual currency. Money really does make the world go round. Within a short time, you had child pornography, murder, drug dealing, and terrorism taking place on the dark web. Now, it's not all that bad, but unfortunately, the word dark suggests something sinister, and it's the yeah. bad that gets the media attention. Actually, most of what's taking place is beneficial, but there are some bad seeds, and it's possible that the dark web may become as widely used as the World Wide Web. In addition to Tor, Freenet is a peer-to-peer -peer platform for anonymous file sharing. So, uh, so, Paul, who is using the dark web now? Okay. Well, the best-known example would be WikiLeaks, which uses the dark web for whistleblowers to upload classified information. 
I recently read that Facebook has launched a Tor hidden service so users can avoid surveillance or censorship. So you, you mentioned this Onion router. Um, how do you access the Onion router, and is it really complicated? Okay, actually, that's a surprising thing. It's actually very easy. Now, if you do a Google search for hidden wiki, which is another term for Tor, you'll find a website where you can download Tor. You, mm -hmm. Yeah, you also find the tor.onion URL directories on this website. The directories are categorized by topics. Some of the topics are labeled, quote-unquote, marketplace, like marketplace financial and marketplace drugs. There's a URL for hacking and several that are labeled, quote-unquote, erotic. After downloading the Tor router, you can copy and paste any of these tor.onion URLs into the Tor browsers. There are tor.onion URLs for fake IDs and another for UK passports, but perhaps the most controversial URL is the Hitman Network, which, as far as I know, is still up and running. The dark web quickly got a reputation as a realm where anything goes. Actually, it's quite tame. However, the entertainment world has jumped on the dark web. For instance, Lee Child's latest novel, Make Me, uses the dark web in the storyline. The bad guys advertise the service through the dark web to euthanize people who are suicidal and want to die painlessly. Instead, they become victims for a snuff film operation. Now you think that's crazy. Try this. A movie came out recently with the title, what else? The Dark Web. Here's the plot. A mysterious group is kidnapping young women and auctioning the right to hunt them to millionaires. The hunt is filmed and broadcast on the dark web for the world to see. I think Danny Glover is a star in this one. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as crazy as these plot lines seem, the anonymity offered by the dark web gives the plot lines an element of feasibility. Now, Additionally, if you do a search on YouTube for dark web, you'll get nearly 10 million hits. Now, guess what the most popular video is? Quote, unquote, the top 10 most disturbing discoveries on the dark web. So unfortunately, movies and videos like these paint a misleading picture. However, the bottom line is, if you download Tor and go looking for trouble, chances are you'll find trouble. So I've also been hearing something about the deep web, D-E-E-P. Deep web, what is that? Okay, good question. The deep web is oftentimes used synonymously with the dark web, and that has caused considerable confusion. In fact, Lee Child's novel refers to the dark web as the deep web. Let's start out by saying the dark web occupies a very small portion of the deep web, less than one hundredth of a percent. The deep web lies as an overlay to the world wide web, and everyone has used it at one time or another. It's essentially a website that cannot be picked up by a Google search and other search engines because it doesn't use the www as part of its web address. In other words, it doesn't use a uniform resource locator or URL. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, for example, if you do online banking and let's say you want to use the TD Bank uh, and you wanted to access their bank, their website, you would TD Bank site would be http colon slash slash tdbank.com, you'd be taken to a web page that asks for a user ID and password. Now, many online utility companies, banking and credit card services, government sites like the Social Security Administration set up an account in this way. These deep websites are vulnerable to hackers, but they do offer a degree of security because you need a user ID and password. 
Interesting. So you gave a talk on the dark web at PirateCon 2016 for the Massachusetts uh, Pirate Political Party. What What is the Pirate Political Party? Okay. The Pirate Political Party grew out of the Pirate Bay, TPB, which was a notorious file-sharing site. TPB was launched in Sweden about a year after Napster went online in 1999 and was the first file-sharing site to use BitTorrent. Unlike other file-sharing sites, the founders were defiant and practically dared the recording industry to come after them. Because they were based in Sweden, music industry had quite a battle, which I wrote about in my book, How Peer-to-Peer File-Sharing is Shaping the Internet. They were eventually sentenced to a year in jail for copyright infringement. During the trial, the Pirate Party was formed by a man in Sweden named Rick Falkfinger in an effort to reform copyright law on the Internet. The Pirate Party and other activists were instrumental in defeating the Stop Online Piracy Act, better known as SOPA, and the Companion Act, PIPA, Protect Intellectual Property Act, in 2012. In that same year, uh, the Anti-Counterfeiting Trade Agreement, ACTA, which was a multinational trade agreement, was defeated in Europe. Now, didn't SOPA have a one-day moratorium with thousands of participating websites? That's correct. SOPA and PIPA which were meant to address the enforcement of U.S. laws against websites outside U.S. jurisdiction, and really was directed against websites like the Pirate Bay. Um, The moratorium, over 115,000 websites like Google, Reddit, and others held a one-day protest on January 18, 2012, urging people to write Congress to protest SOPA and also PIPA. Well, the response was overwhelming, and SOPA and the companion bill PIPA were withdrawn. There was a great concern over censorship, control of the Internet, government regulation, and other issues. ACTA, on the other hand, was a trade agreement that was negotiated in secrecy and whose focus was the Internet. It would have created greater liability for Internet service providers and criminal penalties for Internet piracy, among other provisions. Mm-hmm. ACTA was defeated by the European Parliament in July 2012 amidst massive street protests throughout Europe. This was a few months after the SOPA was defeated in the U.S. I believe this was the first time that anti-counterfeiting legislation was defeated. Now, considering how big the problem of counterfeiting is, this was unprecedented. By 2012, the party had broadened its agenda to include other left-wing items like fracking, genetically modified organisms, and today, yet the Pirate Party is in 60 countries worldwide and resembles and is closely allied with Greenpeace which has a candidate for president in the 2016 election. The Pirate Party is uh, currently in eight states. The largest is in Massachusetts, and it's growing. Now, you have to consider that former presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, who is a socialist and could uh, possibly indicate a liberal swing in the United States. So uh, the Pirate Party could be growing in the United States in future years. Yeah. Now, um, Paul, do you have a website yourself? How could people find that and... How can people get in contact with you if they want to discuss these issues further? Sure. I do have a website. It's www.paularparadise.com. Okay. And uh, is your email listed on there, or could you give our listeners your email? Oh, sure. My uh, email is paularpirate at aol.com. Excellent. Excellent. You must have been on the Internet for a long time having an AOL address. <laughs> I have been. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, Paul, you know, as always, so good to have you on the program and for being a returning guest on IP Fridays. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be back. 
That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.